Good morning, everybody. Happy Halloween. Uh, I have a quick confession for you all. Um, I don't like Halloween. Uh, and it's not maybe what you think. I actually, I've, as I get older, I've come to realize I think I don't love it because I'm not creative. It's just not in me. And everybody has these like awesome costumes and all these cool things. And I'm like, yeah, that's nice. And, and now I have a, a daughter, she's five, and she is creative beyond all things. Uh, her name's Elena. And so we talked like two months ago where I was like, hey, Elena, what, what do you want to be for Halloween? And she was like, hmm. A rainbow moth. <laughs> what? I'm like, what, what? A rainbow moth. I'm like, oh, that's cute. Okay. I'm like, well, it's two months out. We'll just let that one sit. She'll change her mind. She's five. So we fast forward like four weeks. So I'm talking to her about a month ago. Elena, what do you want to be for Halloween? Do you want to be something like a dinosaur? She loves dinosaurs. She's like, no, I told you, a rainbow moth. Yeah. Oh, still a thing. Like, okay. So I'm literally Googling rainbow moth costumes, right? Like maybe somebody somewhere has done this before. There's nothing, don't waste your time. Uh, so then I'm like, but she can still change her mind. So we get like last week, I'm going, okay, let's, let's ask again. Elena, what do you want to be for Halloween? A rainbow moth. I'm like what? I'm like, do you want to go to Meyer? I'll let you pick out any costume you want, like anything. And she's like, no, mom, I want to be a rainbow moth. My child is going to be a rainbow moth. Uh, I, we found like a rainbow tutu and like rainbow butterfly wings and all this stuff. Like I pieced it all together and it just like, I am just baffled by this whole thing. But it's just a fun, like, okay, she's a rainbow moth. Uh, so if you see her, if you happen to see a costume of her, it's not a butterfly. Just to be clear, you may think so, not a butterfly, rainbow moth in my creativity. That has absolutely nothing to do with today's talk or sermon. I just wanted you all to know the pain that I've been going through in the last couple months trying to figure out how to do a rainbow moth costume. So there you go. That's free information. Last week, uh, we kicked off a series on David. Pastor Kirk kicked us off with the series, and we talked about how the Israelites, who had been led by God from the time that they were slaves in Egypt— all the way through the wilderness, they had leaders that were in place of Moses and different judges, and yet they never had a king. And the Israelites were fine. They were doing just great with that. God was their king. Until they eventually got to the point where they started looking around and they realized, well, this nation has a king. This nation has a king. We need a king. And understandably, God was not happy with them for that because he was their king. And now they're saying, no, 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 we need a human ruler. And so after all their whining, all their complaining, all their things, God finally was like, you know what? You can have a king. And so they end up with a guy named Saul as their king. And Kirk talked last week of all series, we are going to be challenging you guys of who is on your throne. Who is on the throne of your life? You can see as the Bible unfolds that the Israelites, they so desperately wanted a human person, a human, and they wanted their way, that eventually things unravel terribly for the Israelites because they so wanted to have themselves or somebody else on the throne instead of God. And so each week we are going to be challenging all of us, the pastors included, of who is on your throne or maybe what is keeping you from having God on your throne. So just kind of checking yourselves every single week of saying, is God on my throne? And if not, how can we get there? Now this week, we are actually diving into David, getting into the life of David a little bit more. And we are going to be talking about one of the most epic battles 
pretty much of all history, one of the most well-known, worldwide known battles. And it's not between two armies, it's between two people. You guys know this, David and Goliath, right? This is nothing new. This is not a new story. If you listen to even like ESPN, they'll talk about, oh, the David-Goliath story, the underdog, all this stuff, right? Like it's a very well-known David and Goliath. If you're like me, you, I grew up in the church, and so I have literally known the David and Goliath story since I was like five years old. I actually, as a matter of fact, my mom used to tuck me in every single night, and she'd rub my back, and she would sing Only a Boy Named David. And it's this Only a Boy Named David, Only a Babbling Brook, Only a Boy Named David, Five Little Stones He Took, and one little stone went in the sling, and the sling went round and round, round and round and round and round and round and round and round, and one little stone went up in the air, do 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 do, and the giant came tumbling down. Every night, like David and Goliath was a part of my life. We knocked that giant out, all right? Spoiler alert, by the way, if you didn't know that. Uh, but for the, I know that we all kind of know the story, but we're going to recap it today. It's 54 verses long. I'm not going to read you the whole 54 verses, I promise, but I am going to recap the story. But while I'm doing that, I would like for you guys to be thinking through two questions. What is keeping God from being on the throne of your life? And what giant, like what problem, what struggle might be keeping God from fully occupying that spot in your life? All right, so let's dive in here. 1 Samuel chapter 17 opens up on a battlefield. We have two hills. We have one hill over here, and we have the Israelite army all camped up on this hill. We have another hill over here, and we have the Philistine army up here. In the middle, the Bible tells us there's a big valley right between the two. So we have two armies going, and they're kind of in a lockdown stare-down between the valley here. However, every morning and every night, out comes from the Philistine army a giant man. His name is Goliath, and the Bible tells us that he is about nine feet, nine inches tall. He's a beast, all right? To give you an idea, those columns right there are about nine feet tall. So that stone area back behind me is about nine feet. So he's even taller than that. And his armor, the Bible tells us, weighs about 125 pounds to 150 pounds. You getting that? Like, that's another person. That is a lot of weight. So he's not some scrawny guy who's walking in, like, all gangly, like, hey, here I come. Like, he is a solid brute of a dude. So Goliath steps out, and he is ready to challenge the Israelite army. Now, when I think of Goliath and this size, I think back to my high school days. I played basketball in high school. I was the point guard due to my height. I was, you know, obviously, no, I was short. I am short. Uh, I played basketball against a girl. Her name was Katie. And Katie was six feet, nine inches tall. So if you can picture that as a female, like she would walk into sporting events and even if she wasn't playing, like she would come to watch and all eyes would just turn on her because she was that big. And Katie also was very athletically built. She was not tall and gangly. She was a very athletic, solidly built female. Katie actually went on to play in the WNBA. She is the fourth tallest female to ever play in the WNBA. So she is not a short person by any means. So Katie comes to play basketball. And here I am in my 5'3 stature. And my coach was like, hey, Courtney, you're doing the jump ball. 
okay, like, let's do this. Uh, so I actually played against Katie for two years, and they had me do the jump ball every single time. I'd love to tell you that I had, like, a David moment where I got the ball. I didn't. One time, I actually jumped, and she didn't jump, and I swear I was this close, because she let it get to her head before she realized, like, oh, she jumped. And, then, like, she, she grabbed it real quick. Uh, but one of the things that Katie would do is she would go before the game, we'd all be getting ready to get, like, for the jump ball to get in circle, and she would walk around to the entire team, each person on the team, and that's the starters, and would just walk around and be like, hey, good luck, and shake their hand. And then she'd go find the other person. Hey, good luck today, shake your hand. Good luck. And I remember being like, wow, she is just so nice. And then I realized what she was doing. When she would walk up and shake your hand, your hand would just disappear. And then you'd look down at her shoes, and you're like, oh, they make them that big, right? Like, they're just giant shoes and giant hands. And I was like, she is smart. That was her intimidation factor. It wasn't brash and in your face, but she was making an intent to go around to every person and be like, I'm huge, you're not. Good luck with that, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, okay, this is gonna be interesting. Uh, we never did beat her, by the way. Anyway, uh, so when I think of Goliath, though, this is kind of what I picture, is this, like, intimidation thing. Goliath's not quite so subtle about his intimidation factor, though. So Goliath steps out from the Philistine army, steps forward, and he starts yelling at the Israelites. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves." I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. So Goliath's stepping out and he's like, somebody come challenge me. And did you catch where the Israelites and Saul the king are so terrified of this guy that they're cowering in fear. And Saul, Kirk talked about last week, Saul, one of the reasons they picked him for king was that he was not only, it says the Bible says he's handsome, but he was also a foot taller than anybody else. So if anybody was to take on Goliath, it should have been Saul because he was the tallest of all the Israelites. And yet here's their king, their leader, their biggest guy. And he's like, oh yeah, no, we're not doing that. And he's cowering with the Israelite army. Enter David. All right, so now we are going to hear about our guy, David. But before I jump into this part of the story of David, we have to backtrack one chapter. In chapter 16, we find that David is about to be anointed king. And what's happened here is that Saul has made some choices where he defies God. He goes against what God tells him to do. And as a result, God makes this choice of, you know what? I'm done with Saul, I'm done with his line. His kids, his grandkids, they will not be king. His reign will end with him. So God talks to Samuel, who at the time was the last judge, he was also the priest, and says, Samuel, I want you to go find this guy named Jesse, and I want you to anoint one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. So Samuel goes, he goes, finds Jesse, and Jesse has eight sons. 
he gets his first seven sons and brings them to Samuel. And Samuel goes through each one. And he's talking to God as he's going through them. He's like, hey, is this the guy? And God's like, no. He goes to the next son. Is this the guy? No. Is this the guy? No. All seven of them, God says, no, not the guy. So Samuel turns and looks at Jesse and says, is, is this everybody? And Jesse's like, I mean, I have my youngest son, but he's a shepherd. He's out watching the sheep. Like, he, it's a total afterthought of like, oh, yeah, I have one more. But he, not him. And Samuel says, go get him. So Samuel waits. Jesse goes and gets his youngest son, brings him back. Youngest son is David. As soon as Samuel sees David, he hears God say, that's it. That's the guy. This kid is going to be the next king. He's going to be my man. And so he anoints David right then and there. Now, the thing is, this has to be kind of on the down low, right? Because David now knows he's going to be the next king. But if he goes around flaunting this, that's a problem. So if he's like, hey, Saul, guess what? I'm going to be the next king. End of David, right? Like Saul's not going to be okay with that. So David knows this going into chapter 17 with Daniel, or wow, with Goliath, all right? And so he knows this, but it's quiet. This is something that's been a secret. So jumping back forward to chapter 17, Goliath's out. David, we find, is at home with his dad and the sheep. And his dad says, hey, your three oldest brothers are fighting in this battle. Take some food and go check on them. I want to know how they're doing. So David takes the food and he heads off and he shows up at the battle scene. He shows up just in time to see Goliath come out and challenge the Israelites. And David sees this, he hears it, and not only is he confused by the fear of the Israelites, he's actually a bit angry. Here's what David has to say. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Did you get that last part where he's, there's just a little bit of anger there. Like, who is this guy anyway that he's defying God? Are you kidding me? And so David starts talking to a few other people about this. Eventually, word spreads to King Saul that, hey, there's some kid over here who's like kind of talking bad about us that we aren't stepping up. So Saul actually sends for David. And so David shows up to Saul and he's like, hey, why aren't you fighting this guy? And Saul's like, well, yeah, we're not doing that. And David looks at Saul and says, I'll fight him. Now, if you can imagine Saul's looking at this kid, we figure that David at this point is right around a middle school age somewhere in like 12 years old-ish. And so if you can imagine Saul just going, who is this punk kid with this confidence? Like, are you kidding me? And so he says, no, 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 you're way too young. You can't do this. And so David looks at Saul and he persists. He says, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear 
will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. So Saul's finally like, hey, you know what, David? If you really think you can do this, have at it. It's your funeral. So David's like, sweet, I'm going. So David, he goes to get ready. And Saul gets some armor, puts it on David. And either the armor's too big or David is just like, I can't move in this. Remember, he's a shepherd boy. He's not used to wearing normal armor. So he puts it on, starts to walk around, and he's like, I can't move. I can't wear this. So he takes that off, and he decides he's just going to go as he is and he's going to go take on Goliath. Before he heads out to take on Goliath, he stops and grabs five stones, and he has his slingshot. Now, back then, the slingshots are not what we have today. Their slingshots were like a leather tether type thing, and they would just sling like that. Uh, My brother and I had a slingshot like nowadays. Those things are pretty sweet. We did some damage with them, right? Like you could actually get some velocity with that. I would actually imagine, though, David... That was his weapon of choice as a shepherd. He's got to be pretty good at it. So he has some skill with his slingshot. So he's got his sling, he's got his five stones, and he takes off down the valley, leaves the hill of the Israelites, and takes off down the valley. The Bible tells us that he actually runs towards Goliath. He's not thinking like, oh, maybe, I don't know. He takes off running. And then out comes Goliath to meet him. And here's how this goes down. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt of this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us." With that, David goes down, he pulls out his sling, takes the stone, whips it around, slings it at Goliath, hits him square in the head. And I picture Goliath kind of like a whoa, and then boom, down. Falls down, dead. David then runs over to Goliath, takes his sword, and this is why I love the Old Testament, takes his sword and chops off his head, all right? Making sure that Goliath is actually for sure dead. Cuts off his head, picks it up, and at that, the Israelites are like, yeah! The roars go, the Israelites chase after the Philistines, the Philistines run away. Huge victory for the Israelites. Meanwhile, they're off celebrating after this is all over, and Saul is sitting back at his camp, and he's talking to the chief of the armies, and he's going, who is this kid? Like, who, really, who is this person? And eventually he calls for David. This is another part of the story that I love that they do not teach you in Sunday school. That David, he's been out celebrating all these things. It says David shows up to Saul because Saul asked to see him again. 
still holding on to Goliath's head. <laughs> and he's like, yeah! Uh, and Saul's like, wow, I don't know who you are, but well done. But here's the thing. David won that battle, but it wasn't by his own strength, was it? It wasn't just by chance he happened with one stone to take this guy out. He had faith and trust in God. And David won an incredible, unexpected battle because David knew when God is actively on the throne, there is no limit to what he can do. It was all through God and through his power that David was able to do this. So what? So what is this for us? Yes, it's a cool story. It's a cool underdog story. Like, yeah, David, take down the Goliath. That's awesome. But what about us a few thousand years later? How does that apply to us? We don't see many nine-foot, nine-inch people walking around these days, right? So how does this apply to us? Now, I started out by asking you to think through two questions. The first one was, what is keeping God from being on the throne of your life? And more specifically then, what might the giant be that's keeping God from being in that spot, from being the Lord of your life? Now, honestly, like I said before, I've heard the story of David and Goliath many, many times. And a lot of times when I've heard it from like up on stage, it's been like, hey, what are your giants and what, how are you tackling your giants? And it really never fully resonated with me. And part of that is because just even my personality type, I'm an Enneagram 7, for those of you that need to know what my Enneagram is, uh, that means that I tend to run from emotion and I try to just avoid it. So even if something huge is happening in my life, I downplay it. And so when I look at my life, in all honesty, people are like, hey, what's the giant in your life? And I'm like, nothing, because I can still live my life. I can still move on. I don't have something that stops me from being me. That's just my operating system. So this never really related to me. Now, I know some of you are out there and you're like, oh, I already know what my giant is because it's so big, it's so huge. My problem, my struggle, whatever it may be, is right there in front of my face. Others of you might be a little bit more like how I am of like, yeah, life's pretty good. There's nothing major here. But one of the things that that stood out to me as I was studying this that I don't know that I ever fully realized before was that Goliath showed up 40 days, two times a day. How annoying is that, right? Like, that's just annoying. I don't care how big the guy is. Like, that's a lot of taunting. That's a lot of annoyance. And the number 40 in the Bible is actually of significance. We see the number 40. We see that for 40 years, the Israelites wandered in the desert, not knowing where they were going. We see that uh, the flood with Noah's Ark, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus himself went into the wilderness for 40 days and then was tempted by the devil. 40 is used many times in the Bible and it's a significance and a symbol of trial and testing. And so when I think of this Goliath and this giant, I think, yes, it can be something huge in your life, but I think it also can be something that's small and annoying and just a reoccurring thing that you just can't quite conquer. So I think it can be any of those things. Just what is that thing in your life that just makes it difficult to say, you know what, God, you are on the throne and I'm sticking to that. So for me, as I was thinking through this, I think in the last year and a half, we have all had the same giant. 
We've had different ones along the way, but the main big giant is COVID. We've all had it, right? We've all been around it. It's impacted our lives. We may all have dealt with it differently, but it's been very much, it's shifted our lives drastically. For me personally, I would have to say in the last two months or so, COVID and all that, the impact of it all is just now starting to hit me because I think I was in fight or flight. It happened, we had to deal with it, we had to move. And just now I'm going, wow, the hurt, the grief, the sadness, the broken relationships, that's all hitting me. And honestly, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not sure which one is gonna surface that day. Which one is gonna be like, hey, this is what's gonna keep you from thinking about God having him first. Because it's all just smacking me in the face right now. So the question is, what do I do with that? What do you do with that? When you have something that keeps coming back at you and coming back at you, what do we do? How do we get past it? And I think we look at David. And when David was told that he couldn't fight Goliath, you can't do that. You're too young. It's helpless. It's hopeless. You cannot take this guy down. Remember what David said to Saul when he told him that? He said, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. What did David do? He remembered. David remembered. He thought back on his life. He thought back of, hey, when have I seen hardship? When have I had other giants pop up? And he was like, God was there. God was faithful. And I have no doubt that he is going to be faithful again. David had so much confidence in God. He had hope. He had confidence that he was able to walk up to Goliath and be like, I will kill you because God is with me and God will make it happen. And the incredible thing is that we can go into battle. We can fight our giants with that exact same confidence because we have the power and the resurrection of Jesus in our lives. We have that power in us. So no matter what it is that you're facing, no matter what your giant may be, whether it's a huge thing, a small thing, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's fear, shame, guilt, anxiety, conflict, anger, insecurity, broken relationships, whatever it may be that's stopping you or causing you to think and be like, man, I, I, ah, taking your eyes off God, whatever it might be, we can have confidence that God has got this, that he is in control. That when God is actively on the throne, we can fight with confidence. One of the things, too, that I love from this whole chapter is that David says several times that he mentions that God is a living God. And it might not seem like a huge thing because we're like, yeah, we know that. But at that time, they worshiped so many idols. And this made God distinct. Not only did David know that God was bigger and more powerful than Goliath, he knew that he was active and moving, that he was actually doing something. And we have that too. We have the Holy Spirit in us that is active and moving and is able to allow us to face our giants, to face our problems, to face our struggles. 
And to be able to say, you know what, God, I trust you. You've been faithful in my past. You have been there. You have not stopped. You have not failed me. I can trust you and I will trust that you've got this. So, wrapping up here, I want you guys to just think, where have you seen God in your past? Where have you seen him? Because odds are, I know for me, when I think back on my life, I have had many trials. I've had times of hurt. I've had times of sadness. I've had times of grief. And yet God has gotten me through absolutely every moment of it. So when I look at the current stuff that I'm dealing with, I can realize, hey, you know what? He's there, he's with me, and he will continue to be with me. So what is your giant? What is your thing? What is it that maybe just keep resurfacing in your life? And then secondly, I want you to stop and think, where have you seen God in your past to help you get through those moments? Now, I do wanna say too, just because God is on your throne does not necessarily mean that your giant is gonna be slayed and dead and you never have to deal with it again. Because we all know, right, there's stuff out there that you may be fighting that giant for the rest of your life. But when God is on your throne, you can have peace, you can have hope, and you can fight with confidence that God is absolutely in control. Jesus himself says that we can have peace because he has overcome the world. He has overcome everything that has happened. And we can continue to fight with confidence, no matter what, knowing that God is there for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just am in awe once again of just who you are and your love and your power. And I just thank you so much that, that you are wanting to be a part of our lives. I just ask that you will help each one of us to allow you to be a part of our lives that we'll be able to look at whatever our struggles are, whatever our problems might be, that we'll be able to take them head on, that we'll be able to trust you and know that you are fighting our battles for us, that we can look to you and say, you know what, you have been faithful and you will continue to be faithful and to put our trust fully in you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.